0: Do you believe that we serve a Christ who never fails? The words in Galatians say this, and I want to read to you this morning as we start. Galatians four nineteen through 20 says, Through earnest prayers we can influence the course of history, for God powerfully answers such prayers. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. And we thank you, Lord, that you did not abandon us. We thank you that you gave us a direct line to you to be able to pray. And we thank you, God, that you never fail. We thank you that you didn't put us through to some answering machine or answering service, Lord, but you hear each one of our prayers, and the truth is, God, that you answer each one of our prayers. But, Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for when we don't like the answer. And so we thank you and we love you. May these be your words for your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I remember as a young kid, 15 years old or so, how I would have these moments where I would be sitting in the woods with my 30-odd six in hand. It would be snowing. And I would be having these really intimate prayer times with God as I was hunting. And I would sit there and I would talk to God about how close we were, and and I would try to convince God of how loyal I was to Him. And I began to go on this long list of things with God, and God, we're this, you know, I love you, God, you're the best, you're fantastic, you're the greatest, and if you could spare it, Lord, could you please send that 30-point buck my way? And so what happened as a young kid, I had this mindset of what prayer was because you see in my life, in my childhood, I noticed something. I noticed that we, I had a really uh, awkward upbringing, I had a rough upbringing, and I noticed that when my mother and my grandmother and other people, when they prayed, stuff happened. And so to me, I had this misunderstanding of prayer that if I simply asked God for stuff, He would give me that stuff. And I had a humongous misunderstanding. I'll be very honest with you. As a young kid, we grew up in very harsh circumstances, but we, we never needed a day in our life. And I watched as the people around me and my family clung to prayer. God is good, that is for sure. And I remember as I struggled. For some reason, I didn't get that buck that day. But I remember as a young guy struggling with that question of prayer. And, and my pastor, my senior pastor at the time at, at the Beaver CMA, his name was Bill Hazlett. Uh, he's an amazing man of God, has been a great mentor to me. He said something uh, when I went to him and I asked him. I said, Pastor Bill, why doesn't God answer my prayers? And this was one of those defining moments in my life that I can tell you, after he said what he said to me, I can tell you what the room smelled like. It's just one of these key moments in my life that I'll never forget. And perplexed that sometimes God didn't answer my prayers the way I wanted I asked him this question why doesn't God answer my prayers he looked at me and I'm going to read this to you because I wrote it down because it's just it's very impactful and I want to say it the way it came across he said well how are you praying and so I told him like every good youth group kid does to their pastor. Oh, I'm very dedicated to prayer. I spend a bajillion hours a week in prayer. I'm on my knees and I'm earnestly seeking God and he just never seems to really answer me. And he said this, Jamie, you need to make sure that you're praying often. Make sure to listen as well. When you pray, pray with great expectations, but don't simply give God ultimatums. He said, leave room for him to speak and to work. And you may be surprised at the answers that he gives. Remember, God doesn't give us the answer we always want, but he gives us the answer that we need, the answer for his glory. And I think that statement is a very powerful statement, and I don't think I realize the significance that that had on my life until a lot later, when I would come to the realization that, as Philip Yancey says and as C.S. Lewis has said, I was looking at God as a celestial Santa Claus, so to speak. I was looking at God as this like genie in the bottle. And I think a lot of times we think that way, that if we're living right and we're doing right and we pray for something, that God, if he loves us and, he's, and he, he says he's everything he says he is, he's going to simply give us everything that we ever ask him for. Right, parents? Because that's what love is. If God really loves me, he's going to do everything I say. And what ends up happening is people, we give God ultimatums instead of genuine heartfelt prayers, recognizing that sometimes God, as the great theologian Garth Brooks says, we should thank God for unanswered prayers. Because I don't know about you, I'm celebrating my 12th anniversary to my beautiful wife Michelle today. And I have been so blessed by God. And the reason I've been blessed by God, as I've been blessed by God, because God didn't answer some stupid prayers I had back in the day. Because if God had answered all those prayers, I would be married and divorced probably four times. How many of you, sitting where you're at right now, thank God that he didn't always answer your prayers the way you wanted? Amen? Amen. As a kid, I was trying to work through this concept of prayer. As Pastor Bill gave me these great words. I didn't appreciate them at the time. And I used to steal my mom's daily breads. And I was one of these kids that I would hang on to these things. And I have one from 1993, December, that talks about this very concept. And in it is this story of a guy named Ivan Denisovich. And there's a book written about this guy called The Day in the Life, One Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich. Now, Ivan Denisovich was a man who was known for prayer. He was a godly man, loved Jesus. And what was so special about this guy was he was a soldier in in, in the Soviet Union. He served during World War II, was captured by the Germans, was in a labor camp there. And then at the completion of the war, was freed. And when he came home to his Soviet country, they accused him of being a traitor. And they sentenced him to 10 years in prison in Siberia in a gulag doing hard labor falsely accused and just simply loving Jesus he began to pray for God's will he began to reach out to the Lord he began to beseech God in one cold day after being tortured he was sitting there praying and a man looked over to him and he uttered these words don't you realize prayer will not help you get out of here any faster and I can't help but to think that on that day, Ivan, this guy who's gone through all this stuff, as I read it, I read this in this, uh, this, this Daily Bread, it says that he went through all these things. And don't you think for a second that, that Ivan was struggling as he heard that small voice in the corner of his mind saying, prayer is not going to work. I think for each one of us in this room, we've had those life circumstances. We have gone through those moments in our life where we are earnestly seeking God and we are reaching out to God and we're not necessarily getting the answer we want, but we're committed to prayer. And in the back of our minds, that voice is there, isn't it? Saying to each one of us, it's not going to work. And I think if we have the wrong heart and we have the wrong attitude when we come to the Lord in prayer, We will listen to that small voice. And we pray without expectations of anything happening. It happens, doesn't it? It happens. In our story today, in Acts 12, this event that took place so many years ago, we see this amazing answer to prayer. I love this story because starting in verse 5, If chapter 12 of Acts we see a moment where yet again the disciples are faced with all kinds of turmoil. Let me give you the background on what's happening here. They're in in Judea and Judea was a one-time place that was sympathetic to the way, which is what Christianity was known as at first. It was called the way. And so Judea is this place and, and as we talk about the gospel going and being in action, the disciples and all these other people are spreading the gospel. People are coming to know Jesus. The Pharisees are angry. They're trying to snuff it out. The Romans are annoyed with the whole soap opera and so it seems like Christianity in its early roots it's it's meeting a a heavy oppression early on to the point where one now sympathetic place to Christ is now a hotbed for persecution Herod seized James the brother of John John and James were known as the sons of thunder he was friends with Jesus and he's put to death by the sword. And in this weird way, Herod's rule gets all kinds of popularity because, to the Jewish people of the day, that was awesome. And so, in an attempt to gain more political favor, Herod seeks to kill more of these Jesus followers. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts 12, verse 5. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. See, in this horrible moment, in this this moment where all hope seems lost, the church did something absolutely correct here. They did something absolutely amazing. When the going got tough, the church, the early church, they hit their knees. And as the scripture tells us here, they earnestly prayed. They sought out God. And in a big God kind of way, God shows up in this moment and he answers their prayers. Here's Peter, if you can imagine this scene playing out in your head. Peter slumped over in this cold cell, this cold prison. He's laying there, maybe has a blanket over him. He's half asleep, praying God to the point where he falls asleep. And he's laying there and the next thing he knows, there's an angel kicking him in the butt saying, get up. What? Peter hadn't had his morning coffee yet. And so Peter's a little out of it and he's staggering around. He says, what's going on? His chains fell off and the scripture goes on saying this. Angel said to him, put on some clothes and sandals. So Peter did it. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. When, when it says wrap your cloak around me, that means we're running. Wrap your cloak around me and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening coffee morning you know it's the, it's the grogginess of the morning he thought he was seeing a vision they passed the first and second guards and then came to the iron gate leading to the city it opened for them by itself and then they went through it and when they had walked the length of one street suddenly the angel left him see in this moment Peter had been praying people had been praying and, and, and God showed up for Peter in a mighty way So instead of sitting there going, okay, God, what are you trying to say to me with this? There's an angel kicking you in the butt. The chains just fell off. Get up and follow him. And Peter did an awesome thing. Peter was obedient to the answer that God gave him. I'm sure that Peter was potentially praying for, for Herod's heart to change, and maybe we could fix this whole thing, and we could bring glory to God. And the way that God wanted to bring glory was the chains fell off, and an angel broke him out of prison. Like some type of old western. If you can imagine what that looks like. And the church had it right. They hit their knees. They prayed for God to do something amazing. But we're about to see where the church got it wrong. This is kind of funny too. It continues on. Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel to rescue me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. Make no mistake, people. They were going to kill Peter. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark. This is also said to be the place where the upper room dinner happened, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked on the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came and answered the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was, uh, she was overjoyed, and she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the front door. Now we've all seen this movie happen where this little girl is all excited because this boy's coming to pick her up at prom and and or, or it's not, you know, there's this guy she wants to go out with, and she has no complete no belief that this guy would ever ask her out. And then she gets a knock on her door, she opens the door, and there's that guy standing right there. And we've all seen this play out. And she slams the door and she runs upstairs. This is what happens in this moment. Here the church, with great expectation, is praying for Peter to be liberated. And then there's this moment where there's a knock on the door and Rhoda goes to the door and then she hears Peter. And in disbelief, it's like she slams the door in his face and she goes upstairs and she says, Guys, Peter's outside. And I I love this moment because it is funny. Peter's standing outside still knocking on the door. Rhoda's upstairs going, "Ooh, Peter's here. And they look at her and they say, you're nuts. Peter's not here. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was uh, him, they said it must be. uh, It must be an angel, thinking he was dead. But Peter kept on knocking. Our our newly escaped prisoner, probably wanted by the law, standing outside, just knocking at the door. You've got to remember, this is a place that was known for being a Christian place. So he's probably feeling pretty, like, nervous at this moment. Peter kept knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand to be quiet uh, and described all that the Lord had brought him out of, and how the Lord had brought him out of prison. He said, tell James, James the brother of Jesus, and the brothers about this, he said, and they left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers to what had become of Peter. Herod loses his mind at this moment and executes all the guards. The church had it right. They hit their knees in prayer. They understood that by seeking God, God could do amazing things. And I'm here to tell you, church, if you pray with great expectation, if you pray and ask God to show up in your life, I promise you, He will. I promise you that if you put your faith in God and you ask him to do his will in your life, he will do some of the craziest, most ridiculous things. I think God really enjoyed busting people out of prison because this isn't the only time it happens. But there's these countless stories of God doing these amazing things. And I'm here to tell you this morning, if you will get to your knees in prayer and ask God to to, to hear you, he will hear you. But there's a humongous part of this story that we quickly skip over. We forget about James. Because here's James, the brother of John, Jesus' best friend. He walked with Christ, he was faithful to serving God. And, and I going to tell you right now, you are absolutely wrong if you don't think the church was praying for James. Because the church was just as fervently praying for James as they were for Peter. Peter gets a miraculous rescue. Peter gets the cancer-free doctor appointment. Peter gets the deliverance from alcohol. But James dies by the sword. James lays his life down for God. And the way that our culture looks at prayer, the way that we look at our celestial Santa Claus, we would say that, well, Peter must be more important or Jesus loves Peter more than he loved James. And that's absolutely wrong. Because the reality of it is, is when we pray to God, we have to expect him to answer. And I'm going to tell you right now, he does answer, but it's not always the way we want him to. That's why when we give God ultimatums, we're disappointed and we say, God didn't answer my prayers. The reality of it is, is my God always answers prayers. I just don't always like it. Amen? Amen. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you will seek the Lord, he will bring you through some amazing things. But I'm going to tell you right now, as I preached a couple of weeks ago about about the theology of suffering, there may may be moments in your life where you will suffer. There may be moments in your life where you'll be sick. But the reality of it is, is God will use those things for his glory. We can't give God ultimatums when we pray. See, the, 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 the liturgy that we, that we, we pray and, and the Lord's Prayer that we pray gives us a great example of how we should pray. There's this little thing. If you don't write anything else down today, write this down, because if you don't know how to pray, this is a quick little thing that teaches you this. You need to, uh, there's this acts of praying, okay? There's adoration. When we pray to God, we need to adore him. When we pray to God, we need to confess to God. That's A-C, acts of praying, adoration, confession. We need to thank God. We need to offer up prayers of thanksgiving. And then as we all think prayer is this opportunity for just to simply give us our stuff, believe it or not, prayer is an opportunity for us to bring our stuff to God, our supplications. The adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and it is appropriate for us to pray for God for our stuff. But as we see Jesus praying, and as we read in our liturgy, it's never so ultimatum, it's never so bookend that we say, God, you must do this. Because in all the prayers we say and the way that Jesus taught us to pray, it's all about his glory and his will. When we pray with people going through moments of hardship in their life, we say these words, God, if it is your will, let them be healed. But your will be done. And when we pray with that type of heart, as we saw in Galatians, we can change forever. Understanding that God is great and God is good all the time. If you believe in the God that we sang about, if you believe in the Jesus that we we just said we did, then we've got to believe that his blood is good enough. We've got to believe that God is big enough to know what he's doing, even when we don't understand it. Amen? He has the whole picture in mind. We don't, we're only seeing the small portion that we're terrified in right now or that, or that we're rejoicing in. God sees the whole picture. The story of Ivan has a rather tragic ending. This guy suffers for the Lord. But see, Ivan got something that we all need to get. Peter in the church got something. This story teaches us something that we all need to get. As Ivan was kneeling praying, that voice, that man said to him, prayer will not help you get out of here. Opening his eyes, Ivan replied to the man, I'm not praying to get out of here. I'm praying for the will of God to be done. And a great quote from a man by by the name of Vernon Grounds. He said, prayer is not manipulating God to get what we want, but discovering what he wants us to do and then asking the Holy Spirit to enable us to do his will. Church, this morning, are you giving God ultimatums? If you have a prayer life where the only one speaking is you, you're doing it wrong. You need to have moments where you're listening to God. And maybe your request comes back with the answer of no. Maybe your answer comes back yes. But do you believe your God's big enough to follow him either way? Do you believe that when you pray, that God does have your best interest in mind? Because I do believe with the death of James, that God did have the church's best interest in mind, he had James's best interest in mind, and he had his glory. We have an amazing God who loves us. And when you pray, I want you to remember that the love of God wants the best for us, the wisdom of God that knows what is best for us, and the power of God can accomplish it. Pray with great expectation. And honor the Lord by doing his will. You follow me this morning? Can I get an amen from anybody? Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you, Lord, that you did not abandon us. We thank you that you sent the Holy Spirit to empower and enable us. And we thank you that you have given us the direct line of prayer to speak to you, God. We pray in the name of Jesus that you would give us the heart to pray in the way that we're supposed to pray. To not view you as a genie in the bottle, but to view you as our majestic creator who loves us, who wants the best for us, and who wants to see us one day dwelling with you in eternity. And so we thank you, God. We praise you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.